Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and I am here with Marcus Washington, again, backed by popular demand from Making the Cut. You can find him at MTC with Mook. I got that right. And before we get into breaking down Georgetown's 73-72 win over the Providence Friars today, I want to tell everyone about our new sponsor, Home Field Apparel. Um, So Home Field Apparel is a premium collegiate brand out of Indianapolis that makes incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. If you listened to our podcast yesterday, you know that that's when they launched their Georgetown line. So what Home Field does is they dig through the archives to find unique logos, mascots, and the like to make thoughtful designs for Georgetown. And they print those logos on absolutely the most comfortable tees and hoodies you'll ever own. If you know anything about me and you follow me on Twitter, you know that I am a sucker and a mark for the title blue. And thankfully, Homefield Apparel has come through. There is something on there for people like me and you if you like the title blue. So please, today actually is, I think the last day, I think it was just a two-day deal. But if you go to homefieldapparel.com, you can get 15% off of your purchase if you use GU Hoyas at checkout. I recommend everyone go see what they have, see what they like. My guess is that you will find something. Marcus, we just saw Georgetown win their first game since December 13th. Let me go over a couple things real quick before we get into it. The Hoyas... They needed some luck a little bit at the end. They fouled a David Duke, who was having a pretty poor game by his standards. With one and a half seconds left, he made the first, missed the second. The Hoyas get the rebound. They come away with the win. Um, Chudier Bile, best game as a Hoya, 19 points, nine rebounds, almost had a double-double. More importantly, well, part of the importance of his game was getting to the line. He was 10 for 12 from the line. He took, he took 12 of the Hoyas' 19 free throws. A little bit of some... Pre-game excitement in that Kudus Wahab on his birthday was sent to the bench for the first time this season. Timothy Egoefe got his first start in the sophomore center out of the, I think it's NBA Africa Academy, got his first start. He played okay. He played 17 minutes, 6.7 rebounds. Um, A.J. Reeves almost hit a career high for the Friars. He had 28 points. His career high was 29. But like I said, they limited Nate Watson to 12 points and they I'm sorry they limited David Duke as well to five he is basically in running for the biggest player of the year Marcus a lot to unpack there what's your sort of first impression on what we just saw that Georgetown finally had a game where they took care of the ball they only turned the ball over seven times uh, during the second half and um, that makes your offense look a lot better when you do that now not as many runouts for Providence, even though they kind of helped Providence in the first half when they got a little bit too jump shot happy and they got runouts and they were able to get into rhythm, especially uh, A.J. Reeves. But my first impression was this team finally made game-winning plays despite the blunder at the end on the foul. They made game-winning plays in the last five minutes, which is something they have not done throughout. And they finally got a dependable third score today who ended up being their top scorer. But this team has not um, had a dependable guy step up outside of Pickett and Blair, who both have kind of become volume shooters. But not only did Chudy have the 19 points, but Kerry had a good uh, game today. He only had seven shot attempts, but at least he touched the ball more. And so those things were the things that jumped off the page uh, for me, on top of the fact that Wahab and um, Big Tim almost played the same amount of minutes. Wahab played 20 minutes. Big Tim played uh, 17. Yeah, you know, so before their last game, so obviously, you know, they were on a three week. They hadn't played three weeks. They hadn't played since at Syracuse on January 9th. Before that game, I was sort of talking about how the season, as we know, is unlikely to end in the NCAA tournament. I think kind of knew that coming in. The beginning of the season's kind of reinforced that. But I thought winning at Syracuse would be, you know, just kind of like a real marker for the season. Like, you know what? It was a tough year, transition year. Get the win in the Dome. That's a big deal to this program. And they didn't get it. But after the break they just had, for them to come out, and I'm not trying to say Providence is in the running for 
you know, Elite Eight, Final Four. It's it's a very competent team that's going to be on the bubble probably till the very end. I think this might be the win that they can look back on or maybe even possibly rally around and, you know, find them, get themselves out of the uh, Big East cellar. What, what do you think about that idea? Oh, I think it's good. And, you know, I wouldn't poo-poo the win either. Uh, Providence has a lot of experience. They're a very, very good inside-out uh, team. They got Nate Watson in foul trouble, which I thought was very important. It was yeah. brought up at the uh, in the conversation with you and after the game, the idea that he was a little bit more creative defensively, uh, which I also think helped. And maybe that's what happened over the uh, last two weeks. Maybe the coaching staff took a look at themselves and things that they could change. And I don't think it was an accident that the defense got more creative. I don't think it was an accident that more guys got touches outside of kind of Georgetown's version of the big three. Uh, you know, obviously they're never going to share everything with us, but I thought it was apparent today that some things, the game was managed different than what it has been throughout the season. Yeah, that's, that's actually interesting, particularly with the defensive creativity. I think I would point back to, so Georgia hasn't played, you know, three weeks. Um, they're losing, they're losing 10, nothing. Wahab's not playing. We don't know why. You know, people are coming at me very upset that I'm I'm upset that the that the change happened. Obviously, they won, so you can always look at it as it worked out. I was a little surprised by if you're gonna sit Wahab for whatever reason, and I think I've been saying this not just for starting, but even during the game, I necessarily wouldn't make the like for like change. I would it's easy to say it now, but I felt that at the time because Belay had a great game, but even before this, like if you want to tell me that, okay, you're going to sit Wahab for whatever reason, we don't know. Oh, Ewing said because of size, which is kind of silly because I think you're talking about like one inch difference or two inch difference, you know. Um, but if you want to, if you want to go smaller and play, play Belay, play Sibley, uh, Kobe Clark didn't play, but you know what I mean? Like, I think you know what I'm getting at. That That's kind of what I was looking at. I got people coming at me saying, you don't know if he has COVID and well, okay, look, Ewing the other day said, I asked him, is everyone available? And he said, everybody was available except for Jalen Harris and Colin Holloway. So I assume he's not affected by COVID. And the fact that he played in the game, I would say, suggests that he's not recovering from COVID. Correct? Yeah, I 100% agree with you on both points. <laughs> if you were going to make the change, I did think that, you know, it would make more sense if you said, well, I'm, I'm going small. Yeah. You know, we're trying to have a little bit more flexibility on defense. Maybe we want to switch more on defense, yeah. which they did kind of do today with certain lineups. That's, that's, that's a basketball reason. Telling me that a guy who's one inch taller um, is in because you want to get bigger is kind of comical on many levels. So there's something there. I don't venture to guess. But I do think that this coaching staff um, did a better job today, even though – I would have preferred to have seen Wahab start. I probably would have preferred to see him um, play more than 20 minutes. But to your point, if you try to make the argument after when, you know, obviously people do come with you. I, I've been saying it all year. I would like to see them go small more. I think there's just so many things and problems that they could cause if they went small sometimes and really got after you three-quarters court, uh, full court. Maybe you're trapping in the half court. Everything doesn't have to be – full court, 40 minutes of hell, Arkansas. I'm not talking about that, but I thought that Georgetown all year has not taken advantage of their length. And I think it's because they're almost stuck in what they do. And I'm sitting here saying, you have all these pieces. Even if you did it in a four-minute stretch, in a three-minute stretch, it would help out this team. It would make the other teams have to do something different see something different, deal with something different. And, you know, like I said, until today, it just it hasn't happened. So hopefully for Georgetown, uh, having some success doing this, maybe they can keep this up the rest of the year. And to your point, now maybe the season is looked at differently if they close out in a different fashion. And then you say, oh, they have things in the right direction. They have this recruiting class coming in next year. And then you'll have a whole bunch of, hey, they might turn the corner talk, you know, because that's always the favorite talk of the offseason. Yeah. And what's great about a win, obviously, is the win. But from our perspective, 
it feels like a legitimate post game. You know, like we hadn't spoken to a player after a game since December 13th. And the two guys that came out today did a great job, Belay and Carrie, who are newcomers, even though they're, you know, they're grad transfers. They're newcomers. We don't know them a whole lot. Um, some of the availabilities recently have just been Ewing, which I understand there's class conflicts involved in that. And that makes sense. But I felt it was really great to get a chance to know what they thought, to know. It's one thing to ask you another day, how did this break go? It's another thing to ask when I ask, um, I think it was Belay, you know, are you doing workouts in your room? Are you watching, you know, game film? Like you hear Don Carey talk about, I'm watching the Big East games. I don't play video games. So there was just, uh, that's just an added bonus. And I know if you're not part of the media, you're not part of these calls, you might just sort of be rolling your eyes right now, but you do get a better chance to understand what's going on in there. And I thought Don Carey, you can tell me, I thought Don Carey in particular was, I used a soccer term on Twitter, as cool, cool as you like. Because I sort of asked him, like, look, you know, you've played at Mount St. Mary's, you've played at Siena, you've seen a lot. You've never seen a COVID pause. And what did you feel coming into this game? Did, I mean, was it different? And he's just like, no, no. And then I said, you know, is it possible that this could be, even though the break is not, it's not like you're going to Key West, right? Like you're in your, you're in your room at Georgetown. But maybe this break came at a good time, you know? And he's like, well, you know, uh, I guess you could look at it that way if you want to because we got the win. But in his mind, he came back and said, all those losses, the five-game losing streak that they just snapped, he felt they were in all of them. And they were in most of those games. So I, th- I thought it was great to get that perspective. And, you know, even after losses, I think there'd be a lot of value in getting to know what the players have to say. But what do you think particularly? We'll, we'll start with Kerry. No, I did think he was kind of cool as a cucumber. And I, yeah. I, what made me laugh was everyone on the team plays video games except for me. I'm watching. I'm watching Big E's opponents. I watched, and I thought that was kind of fun. But yeah. no, I do think that, especially having two veteran uh, guys come on afterwards, and Carrie's a veteran guy, like you said, multiple schools. I do think that they deal with the media a little bit better, and I do think they're more forthcoming because they know what they can share, and they kind of open up. They haven't been in an environment of, of you know, not saying hiding information but being in an environment where you're so close to the best, where everything is an answer that has been written out for you or, you know, kind of coach player speak. Uh, having those guys on starting with Kerry, uh, I just felt like they were more relaxed, they are more comfortable. And when you get relaxed and comfortable, you're a heck of a lot more forthcoming. And, and I felt like he was very forthcoming. And even to answer your question, it's like he gave it consideration, but then he gave you an honest answer. Yeah, exactly. And that's really yeah. all anyone wants is an honest answer. Yeah, he could have just rolled into it. The easy thing, and I, I see this because I cover, you know, pro sports around town. Sometimes they'll just sort of roll into the answer. Like I basically asked a question in a way that, you know, if I was writing a formulaic um, story, I could just plop in that quote. And he could have been like, yeah, it was great. You know, we needed the break. He could have just said that and ended it. But you could just see him literally thinking about it. He's like, well, yeah, I, I could see why you'd make that point. And, you know, if you look at it that way, sure. But then he went into why he felt like it was just another game. And that's the thing, too, is for a lot of people that are just so outside, which most people are, it's a national program. They're on national TV all the time. We think of these players as just it's almost you know, it's almost like they're just TV characters, right? They're just people that just plop on your TV yeah. twice a week and you watch them play basketball. And if it goes well, you're really excited. And if it doesn't go well, you're, you know, you're pounding your fist and you're sending a tweet that, you know, you're upset about or, you know, whatever. That's sort of how we, but these are real people. And for the last two weeks, at least, they've just been in isolation, which if you go back yeah. and think about what you did in college, whether you're an athlete or not, or even if you were just playing in your murals or whatever, like, they're putting a lot on the line to get this season in. And it's just good to hear the actual stories and to hear them, you know, smile, both uh, Belay and Carrie kind of just say, yeah, this is what we did. And, you know, we're on the group chats and we're doing the video games. And I just think it makes them, it just, it just adds another level past wins and losses. And particularly on a team that, you know, so far right now is four and eight. If you're just hanging on wins and losses, you're not very happy. But when you get to know these guys, it's like, wow, that's, you know, these are, you know, good kids going through a, a ridiculously difficult situation. Right. And I think it's a, it's always refreshing to allow us to know them. And 
that is the one thing. It's always been this way. It's gotten worse with social media because everything is so 24-7 and there's more information accessible than ever before in history. And it's almost like we're afraid to let the kids just be kids. And we forget that that's what they are because I know how I was at 19, 20 years old. And so it's almost like we don't want them to be. So when we have an opportunity where they let their guard down and they're just allowed to be themselves, it becomes refreshing. It's like you said, then you get to know them. And then even in tough seasons, and I know you've brought this up before, even in tough seasons, you have these positive things to write about. It might not be about on the court, but off the court, hey, you know, this is something you didn't know about this particular player, and isn't this kind of neat? This is something unique to him or something that you never thought about from a student athlete. But you can't get that if you don't allow these kids to show who they are. Yeah, so I think the win was great for the program. I mean, if anyone – Obviously, Providence is going through the same thing, and they're working their hardest and all that stuff. But, you know, let's be honest. If anyone needed a win this weekend, Georgetown was near the top of the list. I, I don't think that there's any any disagreement with that. But let's go back to the actual game for a second. At 29-14, it looked like, okay, here's what I thought. It was 10 nothing. Now it's 29-14. You know, this team had every opportunity to say, you know what, we didn't get to practice a lot. We've been in our rooms forever. It's just not our day. Maybe, may, maybe next game, you know, and they came back. And for me, it looked like a big part of that was going to a zone and Providence outside of AJ Reeves. Nobody was really hitting AJ Reeves was finished the game six for 12 from deep. The, the other Friars themselves finished two for nine. So how important do you think that stretch was where Georgetown went, went to a zone? It was very important because if I'm in fact I'm kind of scrolling back through my yeah. um my Twitter TL and okay. I can see how I was reacting prior <laughs> prior to the switch, which was Reeves was getting anywhere he wanted to get on the floor and he was very comfortable with where he was going. And I know that Georgetown had some um concentration on not letting Watson get started. Obviously, a lot of focus was on Duke. And so Reeves was starting to get off. The switch was probably the biggest uh, decision made early on in that game. So that league did not, because that league was heading towards 25. There was no doubt about it. And it kind of knocked Providence off his keister. It kind of took them out of the rhythm that they were in. Because even when Reeves missed, when he's able to pressure the defense before they make the switch, other people were starting to get things. So – that switch ends up becoming important. I'm not a big zone guy. You know, I'm not, you're not going to call me Jim Beheim. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, that is part of managing a game. And again, the coaching staff has not shown their willingness to do that in the past. And today, I'm hoping because there was a positive effect out of it that we see more of that going forward. But it did take, um, it did kind of take Providence out of that rhythm that they were in. And so what ends up happening is, you take them out of their offensive rhythm. A lot of times you'll see some of the things that they're able to do defensively go awry too because you're no longer running your offense by taking the ball out the basket. Now you're running your offense in transition. Now the defense is in is moving and they're not being able to set up against your offense and all the things that they practice in preparation isn't sitting right where it should be. So no, it was a it was a huge threat to change was huge on both ends of the floor. And you mentioned defensive creativity. Was there anything else besides that that uh, particularly caught your eye? Of uh, pressure, three-quarters court, kind okay. of that 2 one which has kind of uh, been popular uh, throughout multiple colleges. Again, I don't know if all the coaches got together during the summer and said this is the end thing to do this year, but <laughs> um, they did that. I also uh, – don't know of Ewing, and I probably should have asked, but I didn't. There was a time where they doubled in the post, and they were and they gave stuff up. There was a silly foul. Then I think they gave up an open shot. And I'm thinking to myself, of all teams, why are you doubling the post? And I was wondering, was some of the kids doubling the post on their own, or were they supposed to? Because it just seems silly for all the teams in the country that have three seven-footers that you would double in the post. But um, like I said, for the most part, I just thought 
that sort of switching that sort of switching mentality and doing that, I would have liked to have seen them play three quarters court even more, to be honest with you, to kind of throw them off. But um it's just that sort of creativity and not being afraid to try something that maybe isn't part of your core DNA as a coach. Yeah, there was one in the second half, uh, one of those little presses where like you had Pickett and Belay out there and they turned it over. I think they scored. I'm not entirely sure, but either way, they got the turnover and you know, George, you know, Providence had six turnovers. Not all turnovers are forced, but you know what I mean? Georgetown just doesnn—doesn't generate turnovers. Uh, they're one of the worst teams if you go on Ken Palm for turnover percentage. They just basically they don't turn you over. That's just not something that they do. Um, so they still didn't do it today, but they found a way to get to the line. They shot eight more free throws than Providence, which was big, particularly since Nate Watson was the big concern. So let's go back to that. Like I said, I actually like there were some people that seemed to be upset with me in my problem. I think I described it as a head scratcher. I think I said, if he's healthy, then this is a, this is a head scratching decision. Now you can look back and you can say, well, they won. So obviously Patrick is smart and I'm stupid. And that might be true regardless of this decision. But do we think that the move worked out? Do we think the result was influenced by that? Or is that just sort of, if it's a narrative because the game ended that way? It's in there because the game ended that way. No, I don't think that that made yeah. a big difference because even though you didn't start on Providence for a while, which I don't know why Providence went away from this. You know, when they were in man-to-man, Providence tried to attack Wahab in pick and roll, which I would do myself if I was yeah. coaching against him because he doesn't move his feet very well yeah. when you can get him out. And it doesn't even have to be 18, 19 feet from the basket. It could be 12 feet from the basket and he doesn't do it well. So, no, I don't think that it was that, frankly, I think a lot of it was what happened on the offensive end that other guys besides uh, Pickett and Blair took meaningful perimeter shots when you were in that game-winning time. If you think about throughout this year, yes, Georgetown has played a lot of games that have been close going into the last six or seven minutes, and it always seems like 90% of the perimeter shots are either taken by Blair or pick it, and then everyone after the game, as soon as they lose, you question, was that a good shot? What's their decision-making? Yada, yada, yada. I thought today, because it didn't seem like they had that pressure of being the only two taking that shot, that it actually made Providence play them more honestly, which gave opportunities to everyone. I think that was the biggest difference in the game, was that Providence, instead of feeling like I only have to cover two people down the stretch, now I feel like I have to cover the entire floor down the stretch. That had more impact than sitting Wahab. You know, this is obviously a Georgetown podcast, but if you're a Providence fan, and I know I wrote in the preview game thread up on Casual Hoya, you know, if you assume that they would have made the tournament last year, that would have been six tournaments in seven years. I think he's only won a game once so success is always relative to where you are you know uh, that you know making the tournament would be a big deal for georgetown right now but for providence one this is a bad loss you know georgetown's playing the role of spoiler right now unless they unless the hoyas go on a big streak that's just where they are i'm not trying to offend anybody they're spoiler until they roll off a bunch of these in a row okay so it's a bad loss for providence and even at the end of the game, and, and I've just, maybe I'm just, you know, there was a possession where it felt to me like one of those possessions at the end of JT3's career where people were just, you know, so fed up with them, where I think they were, you have to remind me, they were down one or two, or it was it was in the balance. They got a shot clock violation, which <laughs> is just ridiculous. And then at the end of the game, they waited too long to go for two. Okay, which they got. Then, on a dead ball situation, Cooley used his last time out. So, like I said, this is a Georgetown podcast. But if you're looking at it from the Friars' point of view, you've got to be just steam coming out of your ears. Oh, there's no doubt. And and again, in real time, I tweeted about that. I looked at, (laughs) at my son and I said, why would you use your final time out 
in a dead clock situation. There was no reason to do that. <laughs> then when they took way too much time, I think they took nine seconds off the clock yeah. to get a layup, which I thought, honestly, with 16 seconds left, I really thought they were going to race down the court. And I know that Georgetown put token pressure, but I really thought they were going to race down the court and go straight to the basket for two reasons. One, to get the layup and have plenty of time left and to actually foul instead of burning a timeout. And two, you know, sometimes you can't trust Georgetown. They might foul you. So I thought that that's what they're going to do. But they, they dribbled off nine seconds. They finally get the layup. And then they burned the last time out. I mean, it's just – it made, from a coach's perspective, and I would love to have heard uh, Cooley address it. I don't know in his press or did anyone even bother to ask. But I would like to know what the thinking behind that was. Well, let me just tell you, going to an administrative note right now, it's beyond annoying that these press conferences aren't on one on one yeah. link. And it just like if we were there, Cooley would have come in with a couple players, and then he would have left, and then Patrick would have come in, either with players or without players, or maybe players after him. But that's kind of that's the normal system that we're used to. Every yeah. once in a while, a visiting coach decides he's going to talk outside his locker room, which I find equally annoying, but it's yeah. it's not that often. So yeah, I I, w- I would have loved. I'm I'm sure we had Kevin McNamara on uh, the podcast yesterday or two days ago, and I know he's a great reporter, so I know that he asked about those things. So I have full faith that all the good questions were asked. But you have to kind of pick what you want to do. Now you can go back and archive it and all that stuff, but you know everything's kind of like moving in a row, and you don't have time to do everything. But I'm not suggesting Ed Cooley is a bad coach or is in trouble because I think. I think Providence is probably at their level. Like, I think for them, that's their level is being a consistent tournament team. Maybe, maybe every once in a while going on a run, but he's recruited really well. He's obviously put them in a much better spot than they were under Keno Davis and a lot of coaches before him. But man, you got to be so frustrated after what you saw today because that's a bad loss. Yeah. And I thought that they matched up very well with Georgetown, which makes it even worse. You're you're on a team that has been on a hiatus, and then you have a veteran squad. You're going on the road. There's no crowd whatsoever. It's a team that has not done a lot of winning uh, this season, and you you just give it up. And you give it up at the end, and it looks like they bail you out at the end by fouling, and then, you know, your best player uh, doesn't make the free throws to force overtime. But, um, yeah, if I was a Providence fan, I certainly would – be frustrated and by the way back to your first point i've already gotten burned once this year on the whole interview thing when i thought that they're going to have the interviews run concurrent and i went to Jawan howard's interview and listened to it and then when i came back to maryland uh turgeon had finished speaking and i was like oops (laughs) so i understand the frustration having been a victim of it well it's really hard if you're writing a national story um, I've covered one of these games for the AP and I think it was Villanova and they were obviously separate and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you can kind of figure it out, but it's not, it's not perfect. Um, do you think that for as good as AJ Reeves was going in the first half, do you think David Duke was at all affected by not getting going for so, like for like it taking so long? And do you think there's anything cool he could have maybe done? Oh, absolutely. I think he was impacted by uh, not having his usual touches in the first half. And what he could have done, even though A.J. Reeves was gone, when things started slowing down a bit, every coach for probably their top couple of players has something that they will call that they know this is kind of like their play, their set. It could be a screen and roll. It could be something coming off a stagger screen, depending on the skill set of the player and what they like. And he might have wanted to do that either later in that first half, like, hey, look, eventually I know I have to get him going. Or early in the second half, when the game had tightened up, like, look, I got to get it in his hands. We got to do something. What can we do within, obviously, within what we practice to get him shots, which, again, every Division One team has that. They have plays and pet sets for their best players. And, it, frankly, unless I missed it, and I will go back and watch the game for a second time, I didn't see him – or it didn't jump off the page that he was specifically saying, hey, look, this is a tough game. Let me start running or let's make sure that Duke is getting the proper amount of touches. Because as I tell people all the time, we can talk about shot attempts. 
all we want. It's touches that are more important than shot attempts, especially when you talk about the first half, because touches is what really gets you in this game. I can have four points, be the best player on the team, and have four points in the first half. If I have my usual touches, I might go for 15 in the second half. But if I'm still trying to get my feel, and we've already played 25, 26 minutes, it becomes very tough. And it was tough for him. So the the game ends. Who was it that missed free throws for Georgetown? It was uh, Belay. So he split a pair. So the Hoys are only up two instead of three. And then Blair fouls. And without seeing what happened immediately, one, I couldn't believe it. Two, I thought it was a three at first, which my immediate thought was, you know what, he'll probably only make two. Because I had tweeted with like eight minutes left. I said, look, I'm calling it right now. This game's going to overtime. Which, if you if you actually been at the game and you're working it remotely, you get a bunch of, oh, God, shut up. Like, why are you doing this? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, hey, it's the reverse jinx. But I really did think it was headed for overtime. And when he got fouled, I didn't think he was going to make both because he just hadn't been in a rhythm all day. He made his first. And then he missed. Now, can you – like, what do you think – you know, I asked Patrick afterwards, what do you see and how do you feel? And he was just – I didn't really see it, blah, blah, blah. But – Man, can you imagine being done harder if if he makes both and they go on to lose that game? I mean, just what do you think about the foul? And then what did you think they were thinking? Well, what I thought about the foul was it was just uh, it, it was just an awful play. If there's anything you know, especially in college basketball, that will get a whistle blown, it's if you slide under a guy. Yeah. If you slide under a guy, that is automatic. So in that sense, you can't be out of control. Not only was he out of control, he was at a poor angle. Not only was he out of control and at a poor angle, you had Harris there for the contest. So it was actually it was unnecessary. So putting all three of those things together, I'm going to be honest with you, when he went to the free throw line, and your point is very good, which is based on what had happened previous. It making both of them would have been tough for him. Yeah. Two four eleven shooting, didn't get the touches that he wanted, only went to the free throw line. Those were the only two times he went to yeah. the free throw line. But there was a piece of me saying, man, with Georgetown's year, he'll make both. Yeah, there was I so the way I watch games here is I watch them in my basement. My laptop sucks, so I have to have it plugged in at all times or else it just goes dead like in ten minutes. So and then I run upstairs into my office to do the zooms with Ewing. I had already unplugged my laptop. I was this this kid's not making both. He's just not. He's just not making both. And even though I think he shoots eighty two percent, something like that, it just hadn't been his game. Now, if he had had the line that AJ Reeves had, if he was going, you know, twenty eight points, ten for seventeen from the field, made a bunch of threes. Well, okay, I'd say it's money in the bank. I wouldn't have even. I might have gone upstairs and made a sandwich for overtime. But with the way it was going with him, I was like, there's no way. And I think, let's be honest, Georgetown just, I mean, the program really needed this. And I know that's not how these games are decided. But sometimes when it gets to be that close, you're like, look, come on, come on. <laughs> but to your point earlier, does this become the, uh, the, the game that changes the season around? And I do think that's a legitimate question because if they run off two, then they can run off four. You know, and this is me without looking at the schedule. So well, I'm sure that's, what, that's what I'm about to tell you. That's what yeah, I'm uh-oh. <laughs> so right now they're scheduled. Mm-hmm. Their next two games are away at Creighton and then home to Creighton. They don't have a game next weekend, which I don't know what it would take to get them a game in the Big East, what it would take to move other stuff around. But for a team that needs to make up four games, which – Maybe they won't make them up. I would think that you cannot have a weekend open. But so right now, no. their next their next three are Creighton-Creighton and then a very winnable Butler game at home. Right. So we've seen Creighton drop some games recently to teams that kind of make us raise our eyebrows. Creighton has a real problem defending the post. Um, I don't know who... who I don't know who Patrick is going to go. Is he going to go with the taller Ego F.A. or the shorter Cutis Wahab next game? Um, and... You know, also what I'm thinking about when, and again, you know, if the Ego FAs listen to this podcast, I swear I'm not picking on your son. I think he's, I think he's, a, I think he's a good college backup right now. 
that being said, in college basketball in 2021, having this many centers, and then you know, look, Marcus, you know Ryan Matumbo's playing next year, okay? Yeah. I'm not saying he's starting, but, like, that kid's playing. Like, are you going to play three centers next year? So that, that's kind of right. another an, another part to my thought of, you know, the minutes that Sibley or Clark or other players could be getting. I, I don't see how you juggle this many centers next year. No. And, you know, the, the one of them going to the transfer portal, I would say no, because there is some value. And I know some people will probably roll their eyes when I say this. There's a lot of value to a Georgetown degree. So oh, don't leave you know, there. And I, I would not. I would not recommend leaving until right. you get your grad. You to graduate and got your three years. Um, it's funny you say that because before this podcast, we were waiting for the for the Texas Tech LSU game to finish. Speaking about guys leaving early, but yes, go on. No, but so the idea that hey, you know, there's 800 kids in the transfer portal every summer. Mm-hmm. You know, at least one of these will go. I don't think that's necessarily true. So to your point, how do you balance it? And I'm going to be honest with you, I have no clue how you're going to balance it because I can't wrap uh, my my head around it. Because the one thing he does not do, and you can look at the University of North Carolina, who have three legitimate bigs, but they play 85 90% in a two-big offense. They just don't have two bigs out there. They play 90% of their game, 80 to 90% of their game, with a two-big set with a purpose. Georgetown does not play that way. So, And I, I don't see a change where they're going to start to play that way. So that's where my confusion comes. So I don't have, have the answer of what they're going to do next year. I just know that they're going to end up in a situation where, what you just said, they're going to have to find a way to find minutes for four bigs. Yeah, but anyway, um, I think that started with Creighton's weakness is bigs. So yeah. we'll probably see a heavy dose of them because that would be a way that they could attack them. We've seen we've seen some teams recently do it, including Providence. I think that they, they, they couldn't stop Nate Watson at all. Creighton couldn't. So, you, you know, that's definitely something that you can exploit in the back-to-back with Creighton. But like I said, I think you got to, there's got to be someone to play over the weekend. You know, I think you, were you on the call yesterday with Patrick? No, I didn't. I was not on the call. In fact, I listened to some of it on the recording. I have not made it and did not make it all the way through due to my, my traveling. Sure. Well, anyway, the point was I asked him, like, do you expect to make these games? What, you know, have you heard anything from the league? What do you, what do you see happening? And, he just basically said, well, you know, we want to play, but you can start looking at the calendar and how are we going to fit him in? And then I didn't even ask, but then he decided on his own to say, and I don't see how we're going to play a non-conference game, which, oh, you know, hmm. St. John's recently played Utah Valley. I get that there's a lot of concern because the Big East, you know what everyone in the Big East is doing. You're all on the same page as far as all of your practices and protocols. So I get not wanting to maybe, you know, fly in a team from Utah and have no idea what they're doing out there. But it just seems, I just can't, I can't. The idea of not playing next weekend just seems so, so off to me when you've got four games to make up somehow. Yeah, I would definitely fill it in and you can. And like you said, being respectful towards all the protocols, but you can find. So if there's ever a year you can do it, it's this year. Teams have done it all throughout um, throughout the country, again, I understand the concerns, especially when you're just coming off a hiatus. So I understand that. But I would, frankly, I would try it for anything because of my record. But then again, maybe it's a situation where you're so afraid that you're going to do it and it's going to blow up in your face that you decide not to do it. But as far as the rest of the season, going back to what you said about Creighton, I would take the next six games if I'm Georgetown and I would break them into three-game pods. So my goal would be split with Creighton somehow, beat Butler. And then after that, you have Villanova, Seton Hall, and UConn. Now, Seton Hall and UConn are there, are here. And you try to break that into another two-on-one. More than likely, you're not going to Villanova and winning. So now you're asking yourself, can we beat Seton Hall and, and UConn at home 
and, and they could be winnable games. Now, I don't think they match up very well with Seton Hall, I'll be honest with you. But I would attack these games in three-game pods because if you do look at the schedule over the next six games and you've already said you're not going to bring in a team for next weekend, if you look at it in one big chunk, you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, how do I even make it through this? Yeah, and that's assuming that other teams don't pause, which seems unlikely, but I don't know. It was a great win. It was a, probably, like I said, one of the more needed wins of Georgetown. You know, it seems like it's different circumstances, but just like last year, you know, at some point they were just a team that just just searching for that win, and that's who they are again, and they got it, and it was at home, and it was against a team. You know, Providence has swept Georgetown five of the last six years it's you know guys like us that are old it's hard to imagine that i'm even just said that sentence but i did and you know this might be the only game against providence this year this might have been georgetown's way of quote sweeping the friars by going one and no against them <laughs> um you know depending on if they because that's one of the games that got postponed was the game up in up in rhode island uh you know, this hasn't been a friendly opponent to the end of the JT3 time or, in, you know, Patrick's time here. So of all the wins to get, this was a pretty good one. And, of course, it was not easy. You know, for as easy as it is to just go out and lose, man, it's hard to win. Yes. Yes, <laughs> it is. And I have a question for you because I know you are a resident Georgetown historian. If there sure, I try. George, Georgetown, Providence. If I said that, what is the first game that pops to your mind throughout the history? I mean, unfortunately, it's a game that I'm a little bit too young to have watched. Oh, like so it's, it's right before. <laughs> it's right before my time. I started paying attention about a year to two years later. Two years for sure, but a little bit the next year. But yeah. Um, I was talking to Ben Standing. I think it was actually last night. We were just talking about it, and he was thanking me for tweeting about Georgetown because he hasn't been – he's been so busy with the uh, Washington football team. He hasn't been able to keep up like he normally does. And he was talking about that game, and he was so pissed. And he was okay. saying – and he was <laughs> saying that basically Patino played that game like basketball's played now. But at the time, it was revolutionary. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. That and that's why I, I wanted you to bring that game up. Yeah. I thought back in 1987, one that was the coolest way to play a basketball game, and two, college basketball because Providence won that game was going to change. Now all of the elder statesmen, you know, my relatives, my uncles, my father, and stuff like that, called me crazy. Now I've waited 30 years to see it, but, yeah. but we finally got the basketball being played that way and that's obviously for me that's the game um that always uh always sticks out when i think of georgetown providence because i am 1987 um, elite eight yes yes indeed and um i just knew how they were playing the game then they had i believe indiana transfer delray brooks um along with uh you know before we had the cool term uh stretch four uh, Conlon, I believe was his name, Marty Conlon, played sort of that role. At so Providence. did you know I ended up on his Wikipedia page last night because of this stupid no. conversation? Not not this no, one, but the one I, I did not. <laughs> he played a long time. He played he, – Marty Conlon was – because by the time I was, like, totally into it, he was a all-big East performer. But on that 87 team, he was kind of like a bit player. Mm-hmm. Um and he was in the NBA off and on. He was in the, he was with the Bullets for a little bit. He played the NBA a decent amount, and then he kept playing in a lot of different places. So, yeah. and believe it yeah. or not, and it's funny that we're, I'm talking to you that because you know you get down these rabbit holes about researching stuff. What I didn't realize about that same era, a little bit later, I didn't realize Keith, Mister Jennings, was from Culpepper. You want a fact about Keith, Mr. Jennings? Did you know that? When you I went to the Highland School. I didn't even know that. So here's how I know this, and this also is going to tell you about my age. When I was a junior basketball player for Falkir High School, we lost two games all season. One of those games was to Culpepper against Keith, Mr. Jennings. So, yes, I, I definitely knew that. 
no, I, f- I figured you did. I figured you guys were, were about the same age. Uh, yeah. So he went to Culpeper, and then he transferred to the Highland School for maybe his senior year or something? Something to that line. Later, he ended up coaching there. Yeah. Um, He's coaching a women's and, team somewhere. Uh, yes, yes, indeed, yeah. And so, yeah, and then I followed him uh, East Tennessee State, and uh, or was it East Tennessee State? Am I wrong? Yeah, East Tennessee State. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, you know Golden State Warriors, so on and so forth. But he was, he a great was college player. Yeah, he was a phenomenal high school player. Oh, I believe that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, go out and guard him. Yeah. No right. Oh yeah, but yeah, no that that is the first game I think of, and then so many of the Georgetown Providence games haven't really been a big deal. Two other games that kind of stick in my mind were. Uh, with a local kid, Michael Smith, Providence, I think it might be their, I think it's their first, I may, I guess Cooley has one too now. I think he, I think Cooley has a Big East tournament championship. But uh, they beat the Hoyas in the 94 Big East final. Yep. And also a game, they're not, like I said, there's so few before this recent streak, there's not even that many Providence wins. But then another game I remember was, one of the years when Austin and Chris were playing, so this is like 2010, 11-ish, Georgetown held on to beat Providence at home. Marshawn Brooks, I think, went for like 45. And the Hoyas held on, but it was just like, wow, that was a performance. And Marshawn Brooks played in the NBA for a little bit. Yes, he did. Yes. But yeah, those are the games. And, you know, I think because of the, not because of anything that particularly happened today, even though it was, you know, on the act in the actual game, there was some eventful stuff, but I think just because it'll be like, remember when Georgetown had a three week pause for COVID and they came back who they beat. I think that this game will probably be remembered because of that. Not like I said, because, you know, nobody went for 45 or, you know, there wasn't like a buzzer beater, even though it was, you know, kind of nervy at the end. I think that this game will probably be remembered because of the novelty of just the whole season and, you know, what the team just had to go through. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. And and again, hopefully for the, the program that really needs some good things to happen, that this kind of jump starts them to a to finishing and completing a year that hasn't started off as the best. And again, I know we've brought this up a million times. They were behind the eight ball from the beginning because of things out of their control with when they got to campus, when you yeah. to play and stuff like that. And you know, after a while, you do um, have to lose that excuse because after a while, you just have to play. And, um, again, not to reference back to my timeline, that's what kind of irritated me with Clark Kellogg and Ian Eagle in the first half is when they were talking about, you know, Georgetown's poorest defense, and they kept referencing to the, um, you know, not being able to play in practice and stuff. And I'm like, those problems were there before that. I mean, some yeah. things that you can say might have impacted it. That's not one of them because they had those issues well before we got, well before we got here. But um, it's been a difficult year, so you're hoping that this provides some sort of spark. One one final thing, and I, I kind of want more of this, and maybe maybe that's on us for finding a way to make it relevant every time Ewing speaks, but. Somebody asked him, I think it was Patrick Waring, about the banked in three that Don Carey made. And then mm-hmm. he decided to take it back to a bank three he made against the Bulls. And he said Phil Jackson told him it was lucky. We need more stories like this. Like we need yeah. more Patrick, just what is it called? Spinning yarn. Is that is that, is that the phrase? I think it is, or something along those lines. Yeah. We need more of just him taking questions that are sort of just whatever and flipping it back to a time where he played not so much when he coached but because he's one of the best players of all time you know he did it a while ago i asked him a question about the freshmen not playing as much as they probably want to because they all if you if you end up playing basketball at georgetown you're a big time recruit and i said you know how do they handle this and he said, well, you know, I had a handle at the end of my career because I thought I should have been playing, you know, speaking when he was, a, you know, maybe the Knicks, but also Orlando and Seattle. I mm-hmm. just, I think we need more of just his just random, like, I don't know if you've ever covered baseball, but what baseball does is it's just so ridiculous. Before the game, like three or four hours before the game, 
the oppo- or the managers will talk. Davy Martinez will do it inside of room, but the opposing managers will do it in the dugout a lot. And it's like this like 20 minute free for all of just total, just stupid stories. And I'm not a baseball guy, so I don't really care. It doesn't add a lot of value to me, but man, mm-hmm. would I love it if that's the way And it's like that with the NBA a little bit. It's not as long, but you don't really get that opportunity in college, but it would be great to just get more random Patrick Ewing stories. Like, you know, if someone gets in a big like fight or something and he mentions Charles Oakley or, I don't know. Maybe it's just the Knicks fan in me, but I would just love mm-hmm. it if we just got more of this just, just you know, random Ewing NBA stories. No, that would be interesting, especially in a season like this. I just, I'm always afraid of asking or mentioning anything that leads back to the Chicago Bulls. Because <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, you know, want to particularly relive or rehash anything outside of today in that shot, anything having to do with some of those classic Knicks Bulls robbery, which I can understand. Coach, he's a very prideful man. And I know if I was playing and being a Knicks fan myself, uh, I know if I was playing, I mean, those games would probably still haunt me. Yeah, but I think as the time goes on, you can at least be like, hey, look, you know, there was years we might have been the second best team in the league. There was just this. There was this yeah. other team, man. So I don't know. I'm sure, like winners at the highest level, probably don't think like that. But I could see a way where you could kind of navigate and look back. And I mean, look, every, every damn shirt he wears, freaking Michael Jordan's on it. Yes. Yes. Very true. <laughs> you, you know, so I think you got to be like, look, I was on a team that often was second best to the best. And, you know, just kind of take it with that. So, yeah, that was definitely just an added bonus. Like I said, the post game was great. We got Patrick talking about the Knicks. We got we got players that seemed like they were answering questions in a very thoughtful way and giving some really good quotes. It was just a win-win for everyone. Marcus, I want to thank you for coming on. I know that you're a very busy man during basketball season. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, as we discussed before we come on, yeah, I um... – here for a basketball event up at Penn State. So, yeah, we uh, I'm going to leave this basketball conversation to go um, back onto campus to coach and watch even more basketball. So if, if you are in the Washington household, you hear a bouncing ball more than anything else. I said your Twitter handle correctly the first time. I'm not going to try and do it the second time. Tell everyone where they can find you. <laughs> You can find me at MTC with Mook on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm always on there. As I've said before in this program, I tweet like a teenager. I tweet so much, jump in my timeline, ask questions. You can tell me I'm right. You can tell me I'm wrong as long as you're respectful when you tell me I'm wrong. Um, I'm always up for dialogue. I think that if the more dialogue we have about basketball, I hope the more educated we can get about it. And I always love to hear from the local fans uh, in the DMV. Sounds good. I encourage everyone to go do that. And I also know that I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Marcus. Definitely, my man. Sure.